When America's Got Talent first launched in 2006, it had an eclectic lineup of judges, including Piers Morgan, David Hasselhoff, and Brandy Norwood. Season 8 shook up the panel considerably, anchored around now mainstay Howie Mandel, as well as Howard Stern, Mel B, and a new fourth judging position. The new person who joined left before season 14, then came right back to the show a season later and has stuck around for the past three seasons, including the current one, hosting with Mandel, Simon Cowell, and Sofia Vergara. That host, Heidi Klum. And just like her returning to America's Got Talent, <laughs> we're returning to the Doom Room. I'm Alex. Wow. It's like we're back in the womb, boom, boom, we're in the Doom Room. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Doom Patrol Season 4. <laughs> let me, let me, <laughs> yeah, what's up? <laughs> I, it's the idea that someone will have seamlessly just listened to a, a previous episode where you say that stuff. For me and Pete, it's like coming out of a fog <laughs> into a strange yeah, world. Yeah, I mean, just to mention it. So we're going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 1 of Doom Patrol. So if you haven't watched it at HBO Max, check it out. I know two episodes dropped. We'll have two episodes of the podcast up for you. Don't even worry about it. All good. Good to go. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, good, we to good to go. go. But I guarantee yeah, it. Let's but hope good to so. go. But for us, we actually Definitely taped. Won. So we taped all three previous seasons of Doom Patrol late by broadcast terms. But also earlier this year, I think we taped all of them over the course of January and February and then rolled them out weekly. So they did completely coincidentally. We finished up season three earlier this week by posting time. But I'm damned if I remember what we talked about with the season three finale at this point. (laughs) No Uh, idea. But uh, regardless, it was nice to get back into it. It was nice to watch the show. Um, Spoiler warning here, because we're definitely going to jump into it and talk about everything. But broad strokes here, the team is now finally a team. They are a Doom Patrol. They're being led by Rita. They're fighting villains. We find out that they've actually been relatively successful with the dumb villains that they fight in Cloverton. But there's an ominous threat hanging over them, which is they travel to the future. They meet a future version of Vic where the world has been taken over by zombie butts that they cause. And due to uh, meeting their own ghosts, they find out that like, uh, maybe they shouldn't be a team. Maybe they shouldn't do this. Maybe they're not doing the right thing. So as usual with the Doom Patrol, they end up in a very conflicted place by the end of the episode. And the last little teaser there, we find out thanks to the returning Willoughby, there's an even bigger threat on the horizon in the form of a mortis. Uh, a mortis will rise. We can talk about that more towards the end. But uh, let's talk about it first overall. What did you think about the season four premiere? How'd you feel about being back in Doom Patrol, whether it has been earlier this week as you're listening to the podcast or if it's been a couple of months or maybe well over a year at this point? Well, I got to say, I mean, you know, they did kind of they did have one runaway butt, at, you know, that they kind of teased yeah, we've uh, last that. season. So it was mm-hmm. nice to see that we're picking up loose butts. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, so it's good that we're starting with that, getting the butts out of the way, and then hopefully moving past the butts. But who knows how long it takes to get rid of a zombie apocalypse butt infestation there? Yeah, they definitely yeah, seem to be a not- little behind right now. No, oh, it's boy. good. Come on. I know. I don't want to be Thanks. anal about it, but I think it's harder to uh, good get crap. apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> We got to get the stuff out of the way at the beginning here because we got to move. Yeah. Ass bazooka. (laughs) Nice. That's, that's sort of what we were doing uh, in some ways. Um, What I, I've missed this show. What I love about this show is it makes their, their personal challenges as is individuals and as a team are the super villain of the show. And because they're, they're real hurdles, the real impediments are just themselves. The other villains and the other um, things they have to deal with can be insane, can be like a codpiece um, who has a, a wiener gun. Um, the or old can, wiener gun. And they can be in situations where they're in the far future fighting zombie butts. And that's just such a flip of every other superhero show and movie where it's all about making the, the villain um, scary and, uh, and hard to defeat. And instead, it's the opposite here. And I really appreciate that. And it, they do it double time in this this season four premiere. Let me ask you, if you were like, uh, you know, a crime fighter and 
you know, going about your business. Uh, would you be pissed if like a guy with a codpiece uh, takes you out? You know what I mean? Would you just kind of be like, this kind of sucks. This is a shitty way to go. Well, it's hands free. So I think that's mm-hmm. an advantage. Um, it lets him have more time for obviously posing, which he does a lot, but yeah. answering a phone call or, um, or signaling to another villain on the other way, like, go get him this way. So I'll mention that this is an actual character from the Doom Patrol comics. It was created by Rachel Pollock, who is a longtime writer on Doom Patrol in issue 70, I believe. This is a very different take on him. He's sort of wearing like a very dorky, not even Iron Man suit, but sort of like a knight suit, like a red knight suit with the cod piece and everything. But here it's almost uh, you guys are better at wrestling than I am. This is kind of like Macho Man Randy Savage, I would say. Is that fair, Pete? You're Ooh, our, nice. our expert here. I mean, I don't know, but I, 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 I get the idea of what you're saying a, a little bit. It is kind of like a over the top kind of mullet situation he's got going on. And I think the soundtrack really plays into Macho oh, Man's yeah. Yeah. Uh, whole oeuvre. And as we all know, Macho Man, famously in um, the Spider-Man film, The Ridge, um, as Bonesaw. So he certainly has a comic book pedigree. I mean, yeah, that's I mean, how the, I knew to use that name. Go ahead, Pete. 100%. The, I got the, you for three minutes. We see. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know, I mean, when you see uh, the Codpiece uh, villain there and the music is saying, I fuck like a beast, you know, like that, you know, that really matches up. So it's a, it was a fun moment. Well, I actually, I thought this whole sequence was great to the point that Justin was making where they're fighting this ridiculous villain who you think at any other superhero show they should be able to overpower immediately. They're not. It's still by like the skit of their teeth that they actually beat this guy, and ultimately they do make it out. But it's really only through Doctor Hawthorne yep. stepping up and psychoanalyzing the guy that they win in any shape or form. It doesn't really have anything to do with Rita's leadership. It doesn't have to do with anybody's abilities or anything like that. It's just talking to the guy. And this gets back to I'm forgetting where it was, but somebody mentioned to me. There's something that Niles says towards the end of season one where I think it's when they're fighting the giant robot. And they're like, how are we going to beat this giant robot? And they're like, I don't know. We do what we always do. Talk to it. And that's how yeah. they beat things. They don't beat it by fighting. They beat it by talking through it and working through it from a psychoanalysis perspective. So that actually, even though Dr. Hawthorne is being positioned as a little bit of a villain here, or at least a sub-boss, I think ties into the overall ethos of the show. I just, I, I, just real quick, just wanted to say thank you uh, after saying defeating a codpiece by the skin of their teeth. I just, I'm proud of you for that. Not, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, skin definitely. of the balls. Uh, skin the, of the balls. Was that it? Go ahead. No, I, I think he skin means the, the circumcised skin. Yeah, he means the, okay. the foreskin. Oh, okay. The foreskin of their teeth. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say, uh, slightly different tact, is this show. The characters are always sort of analyzing themselves, each mm-hmm. other. In the middle of fights, they're always talking about, well, you're bad at this. Um, yeah. And they're always taking each other down in that way. And I really like that we get um, Dr. H sort of, uh, the, her narration is therapy, essentially, like sort of mm-hmm. reading a therapist's notes about her patients who are also fighting in this battle. Um, and at the same time, then we get the flip of it over the course of the episode where they're talking to their ghost selves, sort of analyzing their lives and having it be reflected back to them in that way. So it's it makes sense to me that this now fourth season, it's heightened therapy on therapy on therapy that these characters are going through. They haven't made a lot of progress. Um, yeah, that's true. Through four seasons. In fact, they're almost in the worst position than they've ever been before. Also, you know, like meeting your ghost self would think would be a little bit more exciting. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. uh, because the show is insane, like, it, you know, they, they were like, yeah, this is nothing compared to the madness that normally goes on. I would disagree with you a little bit about they haven't made progress necessarily. I think if we want to keep delving into the psychoanalysis thing, what they've really done is they've made the point of therapy, which is incremental progress. They haven't made these Mm. breakthroughs. They haven't made these leaps or anything like that. But that really came through to me in the scene where they gift 
Cliff with his new hand. He gets this new hand yeah. that allows him to feel with one finger and then maybe eventually all five fingers, which I thought was a great, very Doom Patrol way of doing this thing. Um, very smart and very fun. But everybody's standing around and giving it to gifting it to him. Obviously, there's still fraction uh, friction, excuse me, going on between Rita and between Madame Rouge at this point in a big oh, way. Yeah. That's a big theme of the episode that we could probably talk about. But everybody is there for Cliff and they're helping Cliff. And then Cliff does something very stupid off of this where he puts an oven mitt on his head. He's like, I'm not going to touch anything. They're like, you are touching something right now, you idiot. But they came for this place where they could barely stand each other in season one and they hated each other. And now they really are trying to help each other get better. It's by like millimeters that they're getting better, but they are heading there. And even when they head there, there's always two steps back, but they're working on it. Yeah, they're working Um, on it. And while we're talking about Cliff, I feel like Cliff's finger is Chekhov's finger, basically. Like, what do you think the first thing that finger is going to touch is? It's definitely not going to be his son. (laughs) It's going to be something else. A butt? Do you think he's going to touch him? Do you think he's going to finger a butt? Pete? The easy money's on butt. Mm Mm-hmm. On butt. Pete, what do you think he's going to touch? Right, Pete? That was the... Oh, oh my God. That's what Uh, you said. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what Pete said. Yeah, I would like to just get back to the the fact that it's great to have this show back. It, it feels good, and it's it's just one of these like insane shows that is so enjoyable in this madness. Like all of this like butt apocalypse, you know, all this madness going on. Uh, the I love the the fact that yeah the. Rift is still going on because she's giving people code names. And then she says, dog shit McGivens, McNivens there. And I was just like, oh, that's just fun. I think it's McGivens. And the fact that they had to put, yeah, the fact that they had to put a jellyfish on their head when they travel in this, like, time machine robot head is just, I mean, it's so silly. Like, trying to describe the show to anybody else is insane. But the fact that it... It has this sweet spot of insanity where at the center of it is these really broken people is it's very, very enjoyable. And uh, it's 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 impressive that a show that is so insane can be so moving. Uh, Should we break down by character? Well, I just wanted to say one thing off of what Pete was saying before we get to get at. And I do think that's a great thing to do. But the. I agree with you 100%, particularly on those points. And I was thinking about the jellyfish thing in particular, which is such a ludicrous visual to the point where it doesn't even really look like a jellyfish. It looks like sort of like this cold pack that you put in the freezer that has little strings hanging off it or something like that. It's ludicrous. But I think the thing that really works about it and the thing that works about the humor in the show is that everybody is on board with it. You know, they just they roll with it and they push forward. And there's there's levels of like you could have a version of the show where everybody's very winky about things. And they're like, jellyfish, what are we doing over here? How goofy is this? But particularly the fact that that is introduced as like we've done this a million times. We're used to this. We always put jellyfish on our head when we do this. And then yeah, like you were saying, part Pete, of the business. It, it's just what we do when we time travel in this giant robot head that we have a drill attached to all of these levels <laughs> of different things that it also, like you were saying, ties into the emotional journey of Madame Rouge in particular over the course of this episode, yeah. that she is refusing the jellyfish because she wants to forget what she's done. And ultimately Rita, that forces her to a place where she's like, no, you're going to remember what you did is great. Like you'd start with this joke, but it's not just there to be goofy. It's actually something that is goofy, but, and now I'm just repeating Pete, but like ties into the emotional journey. And so I agree. I think it's absolutely elevates the show beyond a lot of other things. Uh, Why don't we talk about the characters like Justin was saying, since I mentioned Madame Rouge, let's talk about her arc and, her uh, turn as dog shit McGivens here. This is a very different mm-hmm. Madame Rouge who seems a little back on her heels in this episode. She's not as making moves as much. She's just trying to accommodate Rita, which I thought was a very interesting place to put her. Well, I like that she's both full of regret 
an actual remorse, which is, I think, very rare for any character on TV, like a villain or hero or whatever. Um, well, at the same time, she's pissed. She's mad, and she doesn't like being treated like actual dog shit. Uh, so that that puts her in a very fun place, and she's the one who um, is a little bit more of a professional. Like, she mm, doesn't yeah. step on her own. Um, uh, she doesn't get in her own way over the course of the the, the story here. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the fact that there is a sweetness to the fact that she is willing to eat shit when it comes to, uh, you know, her role and her level. And I think it's it's interesting that the fact that she's willing to do all this to be a part of this team. I think she has nefarious reasons for it all, but it's still a very interesting place for her to start. See, I wouldn't say it's nefarious. I think it's selfish. Sure, she needs to make amends and she wants to forget the things she's done. Yeah, but she's got, like, she's planning shit. You know what I mean? Like, she's going to, you know, in the, you know, when we talk to the future people, they're like, yeah, you just leave. Like, she's out. She's got other things uh, on her agenda. See, I think they're setting her up to actually be someone that rises up and perhaps sacrifices themselves at some point over the course of the season for the greater good of this team. Well, that would be very nice. And I think that's very sweet, but I don't know if that's. Uh, I agree with you. I think particularly the way that we see her, there's a scene about halfway through, I think where she is in regular time, the present, whatever you want to call that for the Doom Patrol. I mean, let's just say 60% through. I don't know if it was half, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would say more like 65, 63, something like that, but we're splitting hairs. Okay. At this point. Right. We're just yeah, yeah. splitting Time hairs. Timekeeper over here. The, we're really splitting the foreskin of what we're talking about, right, Pete? Oh, that's what you wanted me oh, to say man. here, right, Pete? Okay. That's, nope. that's, nope. that's the metaphor I, we speak in. Just that's, Pete wanted to talk shut. about this. He wrote us a very long email before we taped this. He's like, hey, guys, I want you to mention foreskins as much as possible <laughs> in this episode. And I was like, that he, called a it a, he called it a visual metaphor and had pictures. I don't know where you got those pictures, but they are. They were unsettling at best. Everybody knows you're lying. I don't care enough to email you guys. Mm. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Got us in your trap. The there's a, a thing halfway through. Speaking of email, where not a, at all. Speaking of the internet, I don't know. Madame Rouge is googling a bunch mm. of names of people that she disappeared oh, right. when she was back at the Bureau of Normalcy, and she the way that Michelle Gomez plays it, it was very clear to me at least that she is regretful and she's upset that she can't find these people and she can't figure out what happened to them and that there isn't any way of making it right. Weird little note there, she has a time machine, so she might be able to do something about it. But at the same time, I I agree with Justin about this. I think we are going to see some sort of redemption arc here for Madame Ruse, whether she turns back on that and pushes back, like we've been Mm. talking about that, two steps back on that therapy. I think we'll probably see a little bit of that as well. But she's one of the good guys now. She's part of the team. I, I. I, it's it was hard because that really pulled me out because Google doesn't be like sorry that person doesn't exist anymore. They give you four. There's eighty million people with the same name, so it's like you punch in a name, you're going to get results. It's just crazy that it was oh, just that, like that's interesting, Peter. Because Google's pretty friendly with me too. Did you do something to offend Google that Google doesn't want to give you like real results like that? Well, I'm just saying I felt like that wasn't very realistic and it kind of pulled me out of an insane show. I know that's weird to say, but I was just like, mm-hmm. Google wouldn't just be like, mm, they don't exist anymore. No, no results. That's not how Google works. It would just. I think you need to change your relationship with Google because it sounds like you're not getting along. You should really try okay, Yahoo well, Answers. That's my favorite site. <laughs> Great. I also really like well, Quora. I just, Quora that uh, that gives me a lot of good mm. answers about stuff. I post all of my. Before we make there. jokes about Ask Jeeves, let's get out of this bit, please. <laughs> oh boy, joke wow. police over okay. here. Ask Ask Pete over here. <laughs> uh, so all the stuff with Madame Rouge I thought was really interesting and good, and Michelle Gomez plays it really well. Turning over to Rita, the other she's half so of great. That. Rita's great, and I also really like Rita's journey here. I love her stepping up. Her new uniform is great, and ah. just the whole idea that like at least for this team she can't shape them up as a superhero team she needs to find another way to step up and be the leader that she really has become i think is a really interesting path for her to follow over the course of the season 
Yeah, it's just really hard though because it's it's she's working her ass off and no one cares. You know what I mean? So it's it's hard to watch and to kind of see her um, uh, struggling so much to kind of like uh, uh, be the team leader. Well, and you see that she still has the same sort of uh, weaknesses. Like when Madame Rouge decides to stay later in the episode, her face falls. Like the one thing that takes her all the way back to the very beginning of her training. Because in their fights, like you see her being real elastic girl. Like she's Mm -hmm. doing – she can do it. But she still has the – she falls apart. That's her whole thing. And it feels like she makes great progress, but there's still those those little things that catch her. And – Madame Rouge is a big one because of everything that we learned about last season. Um, so I hope she makes peace. She's the one that I feel like could be a hero. Like if she can get out of her own way, um, I think she is the hero here of the team. Well, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, she's the one that pretty consistently we've seen has had the biggest slides backwards because she always gets close to you aha, this is my destiny. I'm going to be an actor on the stage again. And then that totally messes it up. Or in this case, aha, I'm going to be the leader of the superhero team. And she doesn't really mess it up. It's just sort of everybody gets kind of bummed out by the end of the episode. But I don't know. I want to see her. I want this to be the time that she's like, no, this is what I want to do. I didn't do it right, but I'm going to try it from a different direction rather than this is what I want to do. It didn't work. Giving up 100 percent and starting from ground zero again. So I hope so. Uh, I'll throw one other thing out at you guys. I think this is just based on April Bowlby and Michelle Gomez just having good chemistry on the show. Did you get a, like a little bit of romantic sparks between them this episode? At all? Did you Ooh, get that? Interesting. I did yeah, not, but no, I sparks. No. it may be that sort I, of. I feel heat. like you're putting that on that a little I'm bit. You know what I mean? There. I'm not convinced. You're just like, you know, every time they're on screen together, you're just kind of like, oh my God, what if? What? Going to be, <laughs> what if? Wouldn't it be just, uh, couldn't that one? Oh, man. Uh, I just feel like they're the characters with heat between them, however mm-hmm. you want to define that, or in whatever direction that might go, per Alex, who's like, they should kiss, which he says. <laughs> I'm straight up like sweating, that about everybody. I'm sweating. Yeah. Oh, man. Bring it home. Because uh, all, all the other characters are so internal, it's hard to actually have that um, uh, any sort of positive or negative passion between them. Yes. And I think also, this is nothing against April Bowlby, but Michelle Gomez has chemistry with absolutely everybody across the board. So I, I think yeah. that's probably part of it as well. Why don't we talk about some She's of the other chemistry? Chem- You've got a real thing going on for her. It seems I like. love her. She's great. She's good. Yeah. She's great. Uh, What's up, Pete? What are your What are your plans? Oh, Alex, Alex is blushing. Yeah, he's got, a, just, he's got a little crush. No, oh, look how he, red you're look, getting. What? His, look how cheeks, red you're getting. Yeah. his cheeks are turning, Madame Rouge. <laughs> well, that's a great transition to talk about literally anything else. For example, Cliff. We talked about his storyline a little bit, but uh, this seems like a classic Cliff storyline to me. Where we talked about this a lot the last season, but like. Like we were actually discussing with a lot of the other characters, he just goes, rolls down the hill towards whatever thing he's given. He's like, great, got one finger to touch. I'm putting a bit on it. I'm going a whole hog into this thing. This is my thing now. This is what I do. And it's awesome. It's sad. It's pathetic. But it's such a good plot line. And it's so, I, I don't know. I think it's perfect. Pete, I know you love Cliff. So talk about this one a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Cliff yelling at Cliff was fun. Um, just kind of anytime Cliff gets worked up, worked up and starts swearing, I'm having a blast. So, yeah, it's fun to see him lose his shit for sure. And uh, he he is a walking uh, time bomb. So I, I, yeah, I enjoy what's going on with Cliff. Um I, I, yeah, I just think that, you know, it's for me, when he put the mitten on, I was just like, oh, Cliff, why are you making this harder? You know what I mean? Like, just, you know, you wanting to hold, you know, that baby is a great goal, but now it's like you're put, you're so extra. He doesn't want to hold the baby. He just wants to touch the baby's butt going with the theme of the episode. He says that. He's like, I'm going to touch your little tush with my finger. Oh, my God. He says that. Um, That's a line in the episode. You made it creepy. Cliff didn't make it creepy. You did. 
No, I think that's just his goal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I think butts. We're going to see a lot of butts this season. Yeah, it seems um, like it's going to be a heavy butt season. I, Cliff, like it's hard to tell. Hot girl summer um, turns into he, a heavy butt fall. That's what I always say. <laughs> heavy <laughs> heavy butt season. Um, it's he's just seems like he's just caught in like I want to win for him, and I yeah. like, I've talked about like he feels like the character that could just like give up on his morals in any way. He sacrifice it for whatever he's wanting in that moment, um, no matter what it is, because his wants change so much. Uh, I guess we'll see. I think whatever he touches with his sensitive finger is going to be very funny and interesting at some point. Well, I'll throw out there just based on that. I think this is to the credit of the show, and it sounds like you guys felt the same way, but that they can get us to a place where we're looking at a robot guy who has no expressions on his face, refusing to touch a cotton ball and being like, touch the cotton ball. What are you doing? And that it's so frustrating. And that is the place that they get us to. Like I said, that's a real credit to the show and it's credit to the writing and the acting that it makes us feel so much about something that should be so relatively low stakes. You know? Yeah. That's all. But Cliff stuff's great. Very excited about that. Why don't we talk about Vic, a.k.a. no longer Cyborg? Oh, man. Because there's two of him in this episode. We get to see not only Vic, who's trying to figure out what he could do now that he no longer has implants, but also old man Vic. In the future, the one remaining member of the Doom Patrol, probably, who is navigating a world of zombie butts. Pete, you're bursting at the seams here. Take it away. Yeah. The moment where Vic looks at future Vic and is like, oh, my God, is that tech on your face? And he like just takes it off, and there's no tech. Like the the they hold on it just for a couple extra seconds, but Vic's face of hope that like wait a second, or like in the future, am I going back to being cyborg? Like was just such a kind of like crushing couple of seconds there, where you didn't know if he wanted it to be tech or if he didn't, and then like it was just. Such an amazing uh, kind of just couple of seconds that, uh, yeah, my heart's breaking for Vic right now. I love the relationship he has with his dad and them hanging out and stuff was really great. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of this thing where we open up and he's got a metal detector and looking for metal. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to Vic? You know, like I I want him to do better and, you know, not you know, depend on his kind of like metal robot cyborg part, but it's just so weird not having cyborg be cyborg. So I, I'm rooting for cyborg to happen, but I don't want it to happen. If Vic doesn't, it's such a weird, it's a, it's a weird position as like a comic book fan. Who's just so used to him being cyborg and loving the character cyborg that it's just like, uh, but in this show, I don't know if it's the best thing for him. So it's kind of it puts me in a weird place. But they're really having fun with it right now. Not fun, but I mean, Vic's going through yeah. a lot. But it's just like uh, it's it's tough, man. How are you guys dealing with it? Dealing with it? I've, I can compartmentalize it pretty well. I just, <laughs> okay, it doesn't good. keep me up nights, It doesn't I guess, you I know, bleed into your everyday life. You're not talking just to your kids. Like, I, I completely broke down during the middle of a work meeting earlier today. But other than that, it's been <laughs> smooth sailing. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, sure, I ran into traffic completely nude, screaming cyborg, cyborg. <laughs> but that's a, almost a normal like, occurrence at this point. I just scream different things. Oh, my God, there's that cyborg um, guy. Yeah. I was screaming Andor finale a couple of weeks ago, and uh, wow, man, you're really uh, really living your TV shows. That's uh, true. Uh, but what I was going to say is, it, you know, he he wanted to not be cyborg, uh, right? And then he got that, and now he is desperate to be cyborg again. He doesn't want to sit on the sidelines. He wants to be a hero. Um, the IT guy, important part. And I think he no, it's well, he doesn't think so. Um, tech support, but, not the coolest move, hey, you know. Hey, you watch your fucking mouth, man. That's a tough job. I'm not saying it's not a tough job, but I'm saying this. Just this to clarify for anybody Vic, listening to the podcast, Pete actually used to work as the guy who erased search results at Google. So, Oh, my God. No. So no, Google did, hates you. I did work at so tech I, support for a little while, though. Yes, you did. Oh, interesting. So you're saying this is a personal axe to grind <laughs> is why you're shouting about this? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Maybe. When you, when you worked at By the whatever way, company it was, I don't want to mention, but it's named after a fruit. Did you think about yourself as like the cyborg of that particular uh, company? Yes. No, no, that that's not when... When I worked at the fruit stand, that was completely different than when I worked yeah. at actual IT support US. I know what you're I know what you're thinking, Alex. He he worked at Snapple, not Apple. It's oh, very different. Okay. He was he did um when people he, got app Snapple facts they didn't like, he just yeah. like calmed them down and <laughs> Right, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. I that was my favorite uh, part I, about I, the Snapple facts actually was the eight hundred number, like have a problem with this fact. Call this number. We'll calm you down. Call Pete. Yeah. Call Pete. It was just your personal number. And then I would just answer the phone and be like, no, it's true. You eat that many spiders in your lifetime. That's true. <laughs> yeah. He's like, Wait, we should say also, like, it's Pete doesn't like to talk about it because it's like, you know, his claim to fame. But you're the son of the Snapple lady. So you got so high up. <laughs> How is this guy? By the way. Just straight, Sorry. Yeah, uh, wow. Mrs. LePage. Mom. Yeah, yeah, mom. She's mom, true. Mom. Mommy LePage. Pizza, for those of you wondering, when Pete's recording, he's surrounded by cases of Snapple. This guy <laughs> bathes. This guy bathes in Snapple. So just he's a, he's the heir to the Snapple fortune. Is this Snapple yeah. man? If if you ever get close enough know. to Pete, uh, that's a man who smells like a diet lemon. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. kiwi strawberry, my baby. Come my on, favorite man. flavor. Come Everyone's on. favorite flavor. Diet lemon. <laughs> he goes uh, with diet lemon. Uh, fun flavor. We were talking about Doom Patrol. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about Doom Patrol. <laughs> talking about we're, Vic. We were talking about characters talking in Doom about Patrol. Vic, Vic. right? Cyborg. Yes. Okay. Well, what, what, I, what I was saying is, so, and he when he saw his, it, it feels like this is an emotional story, but I think he's actually being quite logical. He sees his future self, who's failing and sort of uh, morally compromised, who didn't make a play to become a hero again or get the cyborg implants back. So I think he makes the conscious choice. I have to do this now. Otherwise, the it's more likely the world's going to end. So I appreciate his move. I'm curious if that it will be a defining moment because of the message that um, old Vic. Well, that was on. crazy, right? Like you can't have it all. And he's like, fuck that. I'm going to message someone on Facebook. Like I, that, that was just a very I, weird kind of like. Uh, we're gonna find out like, that message is not what he thinks it is. There's no way that's just yeah, like, yeah. well, There's can't no have it way. all, and that's the only message there. Like that's not the thing that he's leaving him with. It's clearly something that he is telling him that is a key to whatever causes the zombie butt apocalypse, and they're not going to understand until later, maybe until it's too late. Which is frustrating because you think future self could be a little bit more clear. You know what I mean? Well, future self is on a TV show, so he's got to do that. Uh, well, plus he was right. It was the last thing he was doing before he got torn apart by butts. So mm-hmm. it's hard to, you know, he might have been halfway through the sentence. You can't yeah. have it um, all cooked Real medium quick, rare. Let's just go through go to- how do you want to be taken out? Because I'd like to be torn apart by butts. Justin, what about you? Uh, I know, and I wrote this down earlier. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I still wrote Torn Apart by Butts. It's crazy. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, that I wanted to be uh, grilled by Butts, you know, just like a nice medium rare <laughs> flipped on both sides. You know, like maybe grilled a family butts. of Butts grills me up, you know. Oh, yeah. And eats you. You don't yeah, want to be know. eaten raw. You think it's <laughs> offensive to be eaten raw. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pete has, you want to taste good. Uh, on, his, uh, on his DNR, he has uh, Take Me Out Like One of Those Bugs Buddy cartoons. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to be <laughs> the coyote. You want to be yeah, eaten I by be the coyote. Strapped to an acme missile, and then yeah. Oh man, Pete. If there's any more defining character, it's the coyote, just chasing that roadrunner all day long. Uh, and one quick that thing that I wanted to, you, to say about Cyborg, real quick, before we turn over to the last character, I believe that we should talk about here is I. I thought it was very weird to see him playing nice with his dad. Like, I understand they got to a catharsis in the last season, but just having the two of them hanging out together, I was like, what? what? What's happening? What? How are they yeah, just friendly with each other? That's no, nice. Yeah, but no, it's they nice. figured it out. Like, in terms of moving forward psychologically, they did it. So that's good. I, I do think we are going to see, given that he saw Cyborg in the future without tech, and that was such a big moment, 
I think we are going to see him cyborg up by the end of the season, but I guess we will see. Agreed. Last but not least, let's talk about Jane. Some big stuff goes down with her. So in wait, this wait, wait, yeah, wait. Before wait. you, before yes. you do this, I just have to say because you're proving a point I was going to make. We mm. haven't talked about Larry Trainer at all. Oh, and right. you said last but not least, right? And this show, while I was watching it, is not doing Larry Trainer. We're not getting. He's second, second. You know, he's pushed out to the edge. We barely get any time with him. We don't get in his head at all. I was shocked that we didn't get Larry here, and I find it so like apt that uh, that we Larry. weren't even talking about him here. I love Larry. I did, but him. let's yeah. talk about Jane first. I just wanted to make that point because the show yes. forgets him. I think. Uh, yeah, well, let's actually talk about Larry now, just because we're getting to this point, because his storyline is he has this new light being inside of new negative spirit. Baby being. Keeg? Baby light. Baby light, Keeg. The Keegs, yeah. And yeah. when they go to the future, they meet a grown-up Keeg, little Keeg, baby Keeg, seemingly fries grown-up Keeg, and then goes back inside of him and then leaves by the end now that they can be separate from each other. And that's kind of what we get. So, Justin, you seem a little hepped up about this. How are you feeling about Larry's story? Well, I was I was just surprised we didn't get a lot of time with him, a character that we've we followed his emotional journey throughout the, this series. We spent so much time getting into each character and almost purposefully not don't get into Larry. So I thought that was strange. And I really like Larry. I'm very invested in his journey or story or whatever you want to call it. So um, I I hope we get more and he's not just like left by the wayside. Um, but the, the mystery here, it seems like he may be able to unlock some of the stuff that happens through the Keeg connection. Um, since they all talk to their ghost selves, but they didn't really answer any questions about like, hey, how do we stop these butts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you would think the how to stop bots would be a higher priority on the list when you're talking to future self, but uh, apparently not. You know, um, it was it was a little surprising how low priority it was. But yeah, I mean, you know, LT kind of got the shaft in this episode, but I feel like because in uh, past seasons we have gotten so much LT, I feel like it's coming. It's just, uh, you know, with the rotating cast, they're going to take time and in different spots for different reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think saying something for the limited amount of time that you have, even with a streaming show, but I also think... And this is with the asterisk that I'm sure they'll figure something out. Was that a shot at streaming shows? Like, what was that? No, no, I'm saying, like, you could go an hour, an hour, 20. For a streaming show? What the fuck does that mean? There's a different thing with a broadcast show that only has 42 minutes where you have to figure out what you're going to focus on because you only have that time. You're going to have to cut things out. You're going to have to trim things. With a streaming show, you don't have that limitation. So being able to say, like, well, we only have that time. We couldn't talk about Larry Trainer. That's not true. Maybe budgetarily, you can only have an episode so there long. You, you know, you can't have it go two and a half. Spend all your money on butt. On butts. There you go. Uh, that's yeah. not the first time I've heard you say that. By the way, Pete. Yeah, won't be the last either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I was going to say about Larry is, to your point, he's already more than anybody else worked through so much stuff over the course of three seasons. Yeah. He's worked through the stuff with his boyfriend. He's worked through the stuff with his family, with his dad, with his wife. Inner it, being. It is inner being. Yeah. So really, I'm sure they'll figure out more. But right now, it feels like the only thing that's left is like the origins of the negative spirits which is, frankly, maybe the least interesting thing about his character mm. and everything that's going on. Wow. So maybe, wow. I don't know, maybe I'm making an excuse for why I forgot <laughs> that was happening. But ah. there you go. Why don't we talk about Jane, though? Because I do think that plot line is very interesting. You mean Do-H. H. Do- Dr. H has taken over the body. K is missing. Ooh. Jane is taking a vacation in the underground. And ultimately is looking for Kay and trying to find Kay. We find out Kay is inside Dr. Hawthorne the entire time as Dr. Hawthorne disappears and Jade moves back to primary only to find some mysterious blank gray puzzle pieces. Pete, take it away. You seem... All right, so here's what I'm worried about. Uh, Dr. H running into the show blows, Okay. You know, some uh, know-it-all I, doctor. I think it's actually Dr. Harrison is the name of the character. Oh, sorry. Whatever. 
Doctor, that's your, that, that's your personal doctor, right, Alex? Doctor mm, Hawthorne. Dr. Yes, that's the one who takes over my body, and I don't want to say how. <laughs> yeah, great. I don't want to know how. Um, no, we're gonna we're gonna guess at the end of the pod. Yeah, fun. Uh, anyways, I just I'm a, I'm a little worried about this aspect of the show moving forward because the underground and the battle for control and all those amazing different characters are so fun. And if we're stuck with Doctor H and then Jane, uh, you know, and that's it. That blows. That's under usage of amazing characters that this show worked really hard to put into place. So I was upset. We didn't get to see other characters. We didn't get to see a lot of the madness that is going on right now because there is a real fight in the underground. And uh, just, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was going to just throw something like, out there. And this is not to blow up your spot, but I, <laughs> before, we were like tape, blow my before we taped the podcast, you were upset because we interviewed Stephanie Chikowski, who plays Hammerhead, a couple of months back. Um, right when they were beginning to film this season and she wasn't sure necessarily whether she was going to come back or not. So now you've watched one episode and you're very worried that the underground is going to come back in any way. Is that what's going on, Pete? No, what's going on is exactly what I said. They have a lot of rich things going on with the, mm-hmm. that character. And, uh, you know, uh, like a lack of LT or lack of other things, I'm a little worried that we're not going to get that fun underground. I mean, there's some there's a nun with a chainsaw, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, I here's what I will say is I have no knowledge of it other than, again, we talked to Stephanie very early into when they were filming the season. Go back and listen to the interview. It was a great interview. She was awesome to talk to. It's in the podcast feed. But this actually seems to be a new mystery with Kay and Jane. Why is, does Kay want Jane to leave her alone? What's going on with these puzzle pieces that exist in the real world? How do they uh, connect to, you guys love it when I say this, Puzzle Daddy, I believe. Like You like that name? Oh, God, I forgot yeah. how much yes. I hate that. That is the character. How does it connect to him? What's going on there? And I think in order to explore that, we have to explore some of the other personalities somehow. They're not going to go away. They're not going to be pushed to the background. That is core to the character of both Jane and Kay. And I, I'm sure we will see that in some fashion this season. Whether we will see Hammerhead specifically, I don't know. But I'm sure we'll see more of them. We fucking better. I... I bet we'll see all of the underground again at some point, even if it's just as a send off to say goodbye, Um, because they the underground was such an important part of the show. And I I like this mystery. I like Jane not being sort of at the surface at the beginning and then coming to the surface as the mystery sort of deepens of where's Kay and what does it mean? What's happening with them? It feels like uh, Dr. H being uh, sort of analyzing everyone actually is maybe the more valuable thing to have happening here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, we move away from that quickly and it's just back to um, people banging into each other. I am curious about this storyline in particular because it definitely seems a new iteration, but it's hitting very familiar beats with Jane in terms of the puzzle pieces, in terms of Kay running away and looking for Kay and the jockeying for control with these different personalities. So I trust this show, but how are they going to shake it up? How are they going to make it different over the course of the season so it doesn't feel like the same thing? I'm curious to check it out. I wonder what's going to happen. Before we wrap up here, though, any other moments from the episode you want to call out? Uh, One thing I'll call out that I'm surprised we haven't talked about yet, and I really wanted to talk to you guys about, if you saw a bowl of Vienna sausages and Skittles, would that be enough to lure you into a trap? Pete, I'm going to let you go first. No way. The uh, Vienna sausages on top of Skittles really just is super gross. Bowl full of Skittles, that trap's falling on me. Bowl full yeah. of Vienna sausages, I'm not falling for that shit. Mm. A bowl full of Vienna sausages and Skittles is too weird to even touch. Mm. See, here's the thing. Um, any salted meat's going to lure me in. Skittles, not my thing. So I would meticulously separate the piles, and then Pete and I would both be trapped in <laughs> right there. Yeah, so what they need in order to trap both of you, and I'm just checking for no particular reason, is, is a separate bowl of Vienna sausages and Skittles. Skittles for Pete, Vienna sausages for you, Justin. Oh, Basically, man. and you could make them in the same cage or two separate cages. For, um, okay, for, all right, good to know. I'm going to write that down uh, over here, and good to know. Thanks. Thank you, guys. 
And to lure you, Alex, it would be just a cage um, uh, building <laughs> device, almost like a coyote-style Acme yeah. uh thing right that uh, you'd be lured to build a trap here's what you gotta do is you gotta lure you guys in with a bowl of vienna sausages and skittles trap you in a cage and then i'll come over and be like hamada 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 and then a bigger cage falls down and traps me Mm. wow that'd be funny if you were in a separate cage but you were also trapped yeah Good times. Then we could still podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Any other moments from the episode you want to call out? Anything in particular? Uh, We could probably talk about the end here. Very fun stuff with the bunny and Willoughby and the council. That was very enjoyable. Oh, yeah. I'll mention this is going to drive Pete insane. But if you don't know this already from the, I believe, the first season, so we get this tease that Immortus will rise. Niles Calder was the leader of the Immortus Initiative, which they mentioned very briefly, I think, in the first season, whose goal was to become immortal. However, I think more likely this is referring to a Doom Patrol villain from the comics who is named General Immortus, who has the same goal to be immortal, uh, per his name. For he's the forever soldier. Yeah, but I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe Niles Calder is coming back. That would be fun, right? We would all three love that. Right, Pete? Yep. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry. I was just kind of scrolling through my notes there for different stuff I wanted to talk about. Uh, I just would be so, uh, and this is a little bit of tension, but I would just be so mad if I went to talk to my future self and my future self was just like, bro, you don't even want to know, bro. And I would just, that would kind of like really shut me down because I'd be like, it's me. So I would know if I would want to know or not. And here I am asking you. So that seems like enough, you know, open the fuck up. You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. I found it especially devastating as you're talking about the ghosts, the the scene of the ghosts laughing at their living selves, the idea that their living selves would ever prevent the apocalypse. Yeah. That, that was... was such an indictment of their, <laughs> their own self-confidence, uh, which I thought was upsetting and uh, a, a well done scene. Well, the thing that um, I thought was really interesting about that, not to delve into that scene too much, but I thought a very classic Doom Patrol joke setup. Where they're like, well, we're going to do this thing, right? And be serious superheroes. And then all laughing hysterically or making fun of it. They've used that joke a ton throughout all four seasons now. But it works every time. But also, like you're saying, Justin, it kind of pointed to this idea that this ghost Doom Patrol of the future has not grown at all. Has not changed at all. They are exactly, literally in stasis as ghosts. But we as viewers are watching the current Doom Patrol, which may eventually become them, hoping that they are going to change in some way. So I don't know what necessarily that means or how you like separate all that out. But the way that I viewed it is you have these two divergent paths for the Doom Patrol. One, this ghost Doom Patrol of the future that is always going to be trapped this way. They have not progressed. They are stuck in the same place, essentially, as they were from season one. And then we have the Doom Patrol that we're actually watching that does, maybe they will never grow. Maybe they will never change. But the point is we as viewers are hoping that and we're cheering them on and they do want to change. So they have a possibility there. Do those ghosts have to be having sex? Shouldn't they be having sex? Uh, they talked about that. They talked about the sex. Yeah, Cliff, Cliff just likes saying, to watch. Yeah, yeah, he watches. Yeah. He doesn't like to right. watch, but that's what he's doing. Yeah, I do uh, wonder if relevant. he's able to touch the sex coast with his pointy, touchy finger. Touch uh, the little tushies. Dude, there's some mitten on it. He's got a, he's got a mitten on it. Mm. Um, his ghost finger. Yeah. I Yeah, I just, I feel like I, one part where I, I was very happy was at the end there where, you know, it's nice to see that, uh, is it a guinea pig? Is it a hamster? I don't want to, uh, would you guys say it's a... Uh, Hamster, guinea pig, which one was it? It sort of looked bunny-esque. Yeah, it looked like a bunny to me. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, well, maybe I need new glasses. Uh, but I liked how it was holding a grudge. I really felt seen in that moment, and I mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, man, get after him. You know what I mean? Like, you're fucking up, and uh, it's really messing with me. So I appreciated the grudge that it was holding. <laughs> 
again, the connections to like old cartoons where you're at trying to track down this bunny as the Elmer Fudd of this podcast is really shocking. <laughs> it's right. season. Why don't we move on and talk about who was most doomed this episode? Justin, Ooh. who was most doomed? Who who do I think is most doomed? I mean, this is a, a common refrain for me, but I think it's Cliff. He continues to be the one who just makes the most obvious mistakes. Um, he doesn't seem to have any sort of deeper thinking going on. So he's the character I worry about the most. Hmm. Pete, what about you? Who do you think is most doomed this episode? Well, I'm not going to repeat that again because I think it was weird that Justin repeated your question again. But I think uh, Rita is most doomed, unfortunately, because she's uh, I'm a little worried about her leadership skills and her grudges and, uh, you know, what's important for the team. So um, I'm, I, I believe in Rita. She's a, a force to be reckoned with. And I think she's got great powers. I'm just a little worried about all the juggling she's doing. She's spreading herself a little thin, and I think that's really, it's taking its effect on her, and I'm a little concerned. But I still I still believe she can turn it around. I'm going to say Vic is most doomed this episode. Obviously, the future Vic is definitely doomed. He is eaten by carnivorous butts. But I think the current Vic mm. is but going to But he went to out on his own terms. He, he was sh- like, he was good with it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. He was giving like two thumbs up right there. He was like, "Hey, man, love you know, love getting eaten by butts." That's the tune of "Love This Chicken from yeah. Popeyes," right? This song. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, oh, nice. I think yeah. Vic is the most dude because he's going to end up in a situation where either he's going to be that eaten by carnivorous butts far in the future, all alone talking to ghosts, or more likely he's going to be put in a position where he's going to be forced to put his cybernetic implants back in. And as much as I think he secretly deep down wants that, he's still going to punish himself for that. So Um, whatever direction you go in, I think things are not looking good, particularly good for Vic this season. And if you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to talk to you about Doom Patrol, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. And before we go, as usual, we're going to end with a Pete of advice from Pete LePage. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, right. Yeah, the part. Well, you have it. Yeah, yeah, you have it. Not bad. Listen, sometimes you have to accept. No, I was just going to say, like, the idea is at the tip of your foreskin. Go ahead. Oh, my God. I wish you wouldn't have said that. I should have just kept talking. Uh, (laughs) You know, I just sometimes in life you have to accept your fate. You know, and whether that's getting eaten alive by butts at the butt apocalypse or taking a. Mm. But bazooka, you know, either way, you know, uh, it's important that you you try to accept your fight. You can fight it. You know, you can fight against it and, you know, fight your best fight. But, uh, you know, accepting your fate is, uh, you know, it's a bold move. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. May the foreskin be with you. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> 